Welcome to episode 130 of Friends of Film, a podcast where latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Avengers 4's possible title, Jared Leto going to Marvel, Indiana Jones 5 being delayed, and more after you use Sicario Day the Soldado. As always, I'm your host, Group Road, once again joined by a man who is joining me in the warmest recording studio ever, Josh Straley. I think the AC is out. I don't know. We it, don't know. The thermostat says 88 degrees. Oof. But luckily, I think I've been trained for this because okay. it seems like my dad won't let the temperature go below 75 at the house <laughs> because we got to keep that perfect equilibrium for him. I don't know. That's the exact opposite for me. I'm, I'm trained for the cold. That's I prefer being cold than I do being warm. Below 70 or oh, above 70? Oh, yeah. Below 70 oh, all man. the time. Okay. And so this is like... I'm melting. <laughs> so we're, we're taping in a sauna. We'll leave with less weight than we start. Yeah, I can now. I'll be able to change my Twitter handle to Cooper Hood, <laughs> now with 2% less body fat. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but hey, everyone, uh, don't forget, you can get all of our latest updates on Facebook and Twitter, at Friends and Film, and be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Google Podcasts. And if you can... On iTunes, please leave us a review. It really, really helps. Yeah, and be sure to head over to our website, friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, where you guys will find written reviews from us on the site, such as one first Sicario Day of the Soldado, which we'll get to in a second. But also, I just published one as we were recording for Uncle Drew, ah. the feature film adaptation of the famed Pepsi commercial starring Kyrie <laughs> yes. Irving in old man makeup. Uh, just to sum it all up for you guys, if you haven't read it, Go, go do so. Uh, anyways, but I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a fan of basketball, there's so much, I think, to just laugh at and enjoy and seeing the, the TNT crew interact together and all these various you know For people sure. who now do like commentary and are on TV um, suit back up in a different way and <laughs> okay. enjoy themselves. It's really fun. Nick Kroll's a good, fun villain. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lil Rel Howry is hilarious. And, uh, I mean, Kyrie is a great Uncle Drew, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of fun to uh, be had. How would you rate Kyrie's acting? I mean, he, I think he's probably the best of the bunch Okay. Um, at, in terms of the professional athletes, even mm-hmm. though Chris Webber may be my favorite. Sure. He gets a lot of, like, really, like, scene-stealing moments that are they're probably the funniest parts of the movie. Loaded with basketball cameos? Um, the beginning is, yeah, because they basically open it with a 30 for 30. Nice. And it talking about Rucker Park and the legend of Uncle Drew and mm-hmm. like they 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 really you know <laughs> that's awesome. do some theater with it. But awesome. once the movie gets going, not so much. I mean, Aaron Gordon is like the uh, prize pupil, okay, of Rucker Park, and basically, so he's he's plays a pretty central role. I didn't even know he's in the movie, so um, yeah, it, awesome. It, it, it's it's a really good time. Cool. Um, l- later for me though. Probably tomorrow is when it'll go live. I have a review of Netflix's new original Tao. Okay. Um, stars Michaela Monroe. Or oh, Micah. Micah uh, Monroe. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as well as Edge Green. It's, it's Grind. Yes, it's Grind. And then, of course, Gary Oldman as mm-hmm. this robotic oh, okay. um, yeah, voice yeah. named Tao. She's trapped in the house with him while Ed Screen. Mm-hmm. Um, holds her captive while he's working on an experiment. It's bad, <laughs> but there's this little moment in the middle that's redeemable of her and Tao interacting, and it's quite fun there. Okay. Uh, you're just dominating Netflix coverage for Friends in Film. It's, it's easy. It it's is. easy. I did watch, just to you know, kind of wrap everything up here, I did watch Set It Up this week. Yes. 
Uh, I'll bring it up later once we get to the news because okay. it ties into something we're going to talk about. All right, but fair I very much enjoyed myself. Good. Um, but let's talk about Sicario de la Soldado. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the big release of the week. And uh, I didn't love it. Okay. I thought it was pr- I thought it was good, but the whole time I'm just thinking, man, if this was Denny and Johan and Deacons and mm-hmm. Blunt, it like this part would have been better. This part would have been better. This part, and I'm just like, for ah. sure. And I hate I hated kind of comparing it to the first one, but it was kind of it's inevitable. Almost not fair. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> Sicario. I don't think it's you know a perfect movie or anything. Right. It's like. It, it may not even be in my top three for Denny. <laughs> that's just that's sure. just quality of how good of a director he is. But yeah, it's tough to compare the movies because Emily Blunt is such a large part of why that first movie is so good and why it works really well. Mm-hmm. And this one is without her. Instead, we focus on Josh Brolin as Matt Graver and then Benicio Del Toro as Alejandro. More so on Alejandro than Graver. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mind that. I thought it gave a lot of nice progressions for Alejandro. He added stuff to his character that you, you knew certain elements about from the first movie, but then they add other depths to it in this one. And we were just like, Oh, like that's really cool. Like it shows more of the man instead of like the monster yeah. that he is kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, and I really liked that. Um, Josh Brolin, I thought was pretty good in his role, but he's, he's not as involved as Alejandro is. No. So, and he's like kind of almost sidelined, near the end um so that and i was kind of surprised because we didn't get to see a lot of them together and that was like kind of a bummer for me especially based on the trailers where it was almost like a head like oh they're together and then they're going head right you know, they're going against each other and i was yeah. like oh that's gonna be awesome and then that mentality. doesn't really happen um there are other choices that are made near the end of the movie i didn't necessarily understand or see why they did that okay um only to possibly reverse them in some instances and it goes back to the story which is surprising to me that a taylor sheridan script and story isn't this tightly woven perfectly executed thing because hell or high water uh Mm. wind river the first sicario they're all all three of those are like top tier scripts super well written um everything and that's just not the case here sure and i don't know why that is i saw some people claim that during some q a the director or somebody involved the movie um said that the first half is really focused on what sheridan wrote but then the second half uh director stefano salima did some different things than what the script initially said so i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's true or not i believe it um but I would also tend to believe that that is the case. Um, so that's a little disappointing because I felt like it didn't feel like that natural of progression for a lot of the, for the two main characters from where they were at the end of Sicario. Like it was more of like the, oh, Alejandro's driven by this bloodlust to get revenge for the people who killed his family. He wants to kill them. And then like he never really gets that chance to try to fulfill any of that in this movie he does a little bit early on but then you know he becomes involved with isabella moner who i really really enjoyed in the movie i thought she was great her character was the best written i think of the bunch because she gets kidnapped and then she gets kidnapped by alejandro and then right they're like played off like they're the dea agents and they're the ones saving mm-hmm. her and like she knows like really early on like this isn't right. Like you guys are definitely not right, <laughs> the yeah. good guys. And so I liked that she was smart and it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm like the teenage girl who's just along this journey and really gullible. And, you know, she starts with like her punching another schoolgirl, which was like, I think a really great way to intro her. Yeah. But 
it all just goes back to the story where then it's her and Alejandro and then there's like sections of Matt and then there's also sections of this other kid who's like getting involved with the cartel mm-hmm. and that part just fell really flat for me where it didn't feel that connected to the movie and I'm yeah. just I'm just like what are we doing with this they eventually tie it in to what the rest of the movie is going for but it just didn't feel like it they felt like they spent way too much time on that for what ended up happening. Yeah. Like they could have cut like two or three of his scenes probably um, um, help this movie move a little quicker. And I think have the exact same result. So it's a good movie. It's well made. It's well shot. The score is good, but it's not as great in all of those categories as everything else was from the first Sicario. So I left a little disappointed, but I'm still say it's a good movie and I enjoyed myself. So I'm going to go three ticket stubs out of five. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you already have had complaints <laughs> about your review <laughs> from yes. one frequent guest of the show, Colton Lichty. Yes. Uh, do you have any, um, have you followed up on any of those responses? Uh, no. All right. Fair no. enough. I mean, no I, st- I stand by it. All I right. mean, okay. yeah, I, no I think check. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, there were just parts of it that I thought were more fun. And I think that's totally Jay Bayona's movie mm-hmm. or mostly Jay Bayona's movie. Yes. And, uh, those are the parts I really enjoyed from that movie. So it felt like, even though it was kind of two conflicting narratives or styles, with the um, you know disaster movie to start and then this gothic horror mm-hmm. movie to end, it still felt natural. And I thought both those parts were executed well. Okay. While Sicario, it was all executed well, but everything that was just fell kind of flat for me. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and agree with you, but in different ways about this movie. Okay. Like I said earlier, it's not fair to compare this to Sicario because th- th- it was loaded with a bunch of talent that was about to blow up from there on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Denny's name was like, oh, it's Denny. Okay, whatever. Um, Johan Johansson, great, but hadn't blown up yet. Dinkins, obviously an OG legend. So yeah. maybe, maybe you could have guessed its greatness from there. So Soledado by itself is still still good like i would mm-hmm. say great uh sheridan's story i would like i said i do believe something got messed with because it's layered it's intricate it has um a lot of conflicting viewpoints and challenging questions mm-hmm. to get raised but none of them get answered in yeah. the second half and it starts um with the separation of Alejandro and Brolin's character's name. Who's Matt Graver. Matt Graver. Thank you. Um, and it goes off from there. The, the, the premise um, of starting wars with the cartels is awesome. It's continuing this aggressive um, tensions that exist between um, U.S. security forces on the border and how they deal with um, drug control and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Benicio Del Toro, again, proves that he is probably the best actor on the planet right now. I, I mean, I don't know. Probably not. It's hard to say who is the best actor. He, he's in the top ten. Uh, okay. For sure. Uh, at least in my top ten. Okay. I loved everything he does with, does with this movie. You said I think he moves, moves him forward. Mm-hmm but keeps him really the same. It unfolds a few layers, but still keeps his shell pretty well intact, Mm -hmm. which I thought was terrific. Even um, Graver changes in a few ways, a little nuance from the, uh, just it's a little nuance um, from him 
and I thought that was terrific. Uh, as far as Sol, Solima, Solima? Yeah, Solima. Solima, uh, his direction, his scene crafting, it's not as, it's not Denny. No. But it's, it's if I hadn't seen Sicario, I'd say this is great too. Um, everything is wound together really well in the first half of the film. But then once it gets into its second act, there's, there's the, there's the turn for the movie mm-hmm. that exists with the identities of um, a terrorist group and their nationality. Yeah. And it's used as a throwaway line. And it should have been the thesis to this entire movie. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, that would have been a huge argument maybe in Sheridan's script or something a little bit more than just a, oh, and this and this. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it in spoilers and I'll mention it there. But yeah, um, I dug... Elijah Rodriguez's storyline. He was the um, kid from okay. the, the side of the border mm-hmm. who gets caught up in uh, human trafficking across um, the border. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool because Sheridan always tries to find a way to ground the stories that he tells in someone who's kind of like, we can see it through his eyes. Mm-hmm. He did it in the first Sicario film where the, you see the relationship between a police officer, his son, and then how he's just deeply involved with all the wrong people. Mm-hmm. But it's, just the thing that's happening. And this time we get that as well. But then moves get made at the end with his role that don't necessarily make a whole lot of no. sense. Um, as well as with Alejandro, I would imagine that the script, I don't know what Taylor Sheridan's first script said, <laughs> but I have some guesses that it ended differently for a few characters. Um, but other than that, I, I loved it. Uh, the action is precise. It's quick. And it's it pl- plays out how you imagine anyone going toe to toe with U.S. forces mm-hmm. would in a lot of ways. It's not drawn out. It's not overly gory. It's just sort of disaffected realism in a lot of ways. And I, I appreciate the heck out of that. Um, but it is a step back ultimately. The, um, and we'll talk about those in detail in a minute. Salima's going to do a great job with the Call of Duty. Yeah, if he gets locked up sure. with that because that'll fit the the um the murka premise that'll kind of <laughs> probably go with that i imagine well um, like to to his credit the i don't think the action is as i don't know visceral maybe yes. as the first sicario is Correct. but this one felt more like tactical yeah. um like all like their their night diving stuff like mm-hmm. all that stuff Ooh. i was like that when they're doing that earlier on in the movie i was like oh like sony or whoever has uh call of duty yeah, Universal. I don't remember. Um, I was like, they clearly just saw the first fifteen minutes of Sicario <laughs> Two, and they were like, "Yes, this right. is exactly what we need." And I, I mean, yes. Even though I may, may not have loved this movie, it made me excited to see what Slim will do with Call of Duty, other franchises potentially, but also even like Isabel Moner is going to be Dora the Explorer. Right. I don't really care yeah. about that, but she looks like she's very capable Absolutely. on the big screen as probably the best part of the last night, and then also I thought really good here. Yeah. Um. And- and speaking to Mona real quick before I wrap up, her character had agency. Like you said mm-hmm. um, earlier, she wasn't just there to be a prop. Yeah. And that was really cool because it feels it feels like anybody, I don't know if it would have just been, it could have been anybody else that they gave mm-hmm. agency to, but with Mona, it felt right because she's so strong yeah. in the last night. And then here, excellent as well. Um, seems to be like there's set up for something else mm-hmm. at the end. So maybe Mona comes back. 
hopefully Blunt comes yeah. back. And since Denny hasn't really announced any start date for Dune yet. I think it's supposed to go sometime next year. Oh, really? Okay, so never mind then. But uh, it would be, I'd be interested to see what they do with this franchise next. I would... Oh, your ticket? I Oh, my ticket rating? I've got it at four tickets. Okay. Out of five. There four we ticket go. stubs. Ticket stubs, yes. Um, moving into spoilers here, as far as Sicario 3 is addressing that real quickly, mm-hmm. um, I think, personally, I would love to see Taylor Sheridan write and direct 3. Yes. Get Blunt back. Amen. I mean, I think Deacons, um, Johansson, Denny are as integral to that first movie as anybody but Sheridan has been the through line he has some ideas of where the third one will go if it's his writing and his directing then if there was some miscommunication misexecution in terms of the second half of this movie he can wind it up he doesn't have to worry about that happening for the third one and he can get Blunt back get Brolin Del Toro um, Moner possibly uh, is Daniel Kaluuya still alive in this universe I'm pretty sure he is oh yes he Bring is him back. he's alive uh, there's a lot of potential, I think, for the third movie. Absolutely. And then you know who's going to be DP? Who? Bradford Young. Ooh, yeah. I'm down but for that. I am too. Oh, man, that would be great. Okay. Um, can I talk about the ending? Cause yes. This is, where, this is where I really lost me. The I actual really, ending? The, the well, like the last end, like 20. The last 25 minutes. Okay. Um, it feels like the end for Alejandro in every way. In this movie, we learn that he, there's this really Sheridan-like moment, really sweet, where we see him meet a family that is mute, mm-hmm. and he knows how to communicate with them. And the man is just bewildered, and it leads to him meeting their son and speaking with them in sign language. And it's just it's a, a scene that only a Benicio del Toro can pull off. Yeah, um, with his his sad eyes and just overall defeated but strong posture. Mm-hmm. If you know, that can that makes sense at all. And that's where you see those layers folded back. He talks about his family. He reveals to Moner that he'd lost his um, wife and kids uh, to the cartels mm-hmm. because he was a high-profile lawyer in Mexico. And eventually it leads to him getting caught with Moner, trying to cross the border, let out into the desert, and shot. Yeah. Um, what was your initial reaction when the gunshot happened? It was over. It was done. What was done? He was dead. I was a per, like a thousand percent positive. But like, were you like, okay with that? I mean, I took a deep breath and went, wow. What a, what a Sheridan like, I, cause I keep saying Sheridan, but it was like, it was just cause it was like, that's how it happens. Like it wasn't going to waste time on him anymore. Everyone was ready to move on. Um, Graver and his company mm-hmm. were watching via satellite image, kind of how it all went down. I was like, okay, that's that's how it goes. The end. Yeah, I was not happy with that. You were ticked. Yeah, because Alejandro in that first movie is like the most terrifying person on the planet. And mm-hmm. he starts off the movie, this movie, basically like that, where he does the, the awesome moment from the trailers with the one finger, just Adios. nine shots with yeah. the pistol or whatever. And it's great. But then, like, from that moment on, he still has those, like, tactical moments where he's, like, cool and dangerous and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then for him to, like, go out like that, potentially, it obviously doesn't happen. But I was like, you can't kill Alejandro in such, like, a punk way. Because, like, I, th- I was like, he 
he deserves better and like for him to go out but being like basically surrounded like rounded up by this cartel and then shot by some kid trying to prove himself I was like no like at least have like the main guy kill him or something yeah no that worked for me though okay because it was just like he finally didn't do what he thought he was gonna do i mean he was he was he could have had some of his vengeance mm-hmm. on um the man who ordered the killing of his family in, in that way he chooses not to he reveals a little bit more about himself he opens up essentially like you said he's not the monster like before mm-hmm. and that would have been the perfect character arc for him but i think it got changed he ends up surviving yeah um the bullet goes right through his cheeks yeah uh-huh. even though at the end of the movie he has they they blatantly show stitches on one side this other side i didn't believe it didn't look like there was maybe it, there. okay yeah. Because I look, because I saw on the this when you when he he's revealed to be alive and back in the states, mm-hmm. um, because Elijah Rodriguez's character stumbles into him a year later after. Well, not I mean Alejandro him, plans it because like he knows that's where Elijah correct. goes, so he's just like, yeah. right, I'm gonna f- get this kid. Exactly. Um, you see it revealed just slightly in the light when he shifts his head and's like, get in here, and then he turns his face over mm-hmm. does it say the closing lines of the film yeah and then you see really clearly those yeah cross i saw i saw it on the second one but not initially they but. healed really well i thought it was gonna be okay. a lot more gruesome yeah than that. like when like basically the amount of blood and everything that happened and, like i was expecting like not a complete like two-face mm-hmm. thing from dark knight but like something <laughs> akin where it's like his jaws are like his jawline's like hanging he, off or something he got but, to a good doctor that's yes he sure. did he did you know. um but that felt like them being like, oh, we're not done with this yet. Yeah. My gut, and I don't know, I'll ask Taylor sometime via tweet or email or <laughs> handwritten letter. Did you kill him in the roof, one of your drafts? Because it felt like the end for him. Especially because like, they did the like the car crash on the side of the road. Like, oh, well, now he's, he's like dying. And he drifts off, crashes into a pole. And he's like sit there and wait on him. And you're like, oh, he's, like, he's dying. I was like, that, like, that would, I would have been okay if he died that way. Okay. But then he's just like, no, I'm taking a breather. All right, I'm back. I'm driving. <laughs> yes. I was like, wait, oh, okay. <laughs> Just a temporary, you know, check a text moment. Like it almost would have, I think, been better if they didn't have the driveway moment or the um you know him meeting the other kid scene and just end it with like him kind of looking off in the sunset and like it's very vague and you're just like, Does he did he die? Is he still alive? Like you end it with like you cut it perfectly so it's like he it ends on an exhale and you're just like was that the last one and then there's all those questions about for mm. the third one and then they can obviously announce whether or yeah. not he's going to be involved and I think could have done a could have ended it a little better right because I don't understand why he's even going out he, like he's a, he's recruiting the kid now I don't know his mission anymore that's the thing that remains unclear he wants to train him to be a Sicario right but like. But that, that that kid doesn't seem like that's his intention. No, it's like he's content being, um, you know, uh, he's supposed to be part of the cartel a gang. Yeah, a gang was, member. It was, it was weird. Like that, right. it just didn't really line up for me. Yeah. Um, okay. especially the Brolin makes the decision instead of killing Isabel Moner's character as he was uh, instructed to do, he decides to rescue her mm-hmm. and put her into protective custody. Yep. Um. I'm cool with that because I, I liked Moner, but it didn't necessarily feel like totally in line with Graver um, from what he'd done before. I mean, if he was willing to go out and likely kill Alejandro to rescue this girl, it 
it just didn't feel like exactly what Graver do, especially because he starts he starts the movie off very like I'll do whatever it takes. Right. I mean, he kills this um, this interrogation guy's like whole family, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, like Graver's not messing around in this movie, and then he ends. I mean, maybe that's his arc is this he's learning stuff along the way, but yeah. I don't know. Alejandro's death, I think, is what switched that for yeah him. that was my that was my take and my like, did it for alejandro right it okay. was a subtle move but he's like all right well you know I'll just grab, I'll, he, i mean he had no qualms slaughtering a truck bed full of kids right but he's like this one kid who alejandro thought was fine or didn't want to you know take out mm-hmm. i'll take her back to the states where she automatically gets a judge a trial all those right. things but she didn't do anything wrong yeah. other than be the daughter of a <laughs> cartel member. passenger. Um, but can I talk about my one theme problem? Yes. Um, and I think this is this will be the end of my thoughts okay. at least. But the idea here is um, the U.S. government is using terrorist or is calling the drug cartels a terrorist organization because mm-hmm. it defines terrorism in this one specific way. Um, so they start war with them after a very, very this is probably the most visceral part of the movie is the bombing in mm-hmm. Kansas city that yeah. leads off the movie and not just the bombing itself, but then showing you a family just inches from escaping, getting killed. And it starts out that way. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be a tense movie. Yeah. Um, and in, in most ways it's, it stays tense. And they believe that the cartels ferried these people over and mm-hmm. are now, you know, exporting terrorism to the United States this way. Uh, but it turns out not to be the case. And um, during the movie, Graver is just going ballistic um, to try to bring these people down. But finally, Catherine Keener's character uh, reveals to him that four of those terrorists were actually U.S. citizens, uh-huh. making their the entire first half, two-thirds of the movie, like their mission there, moot completely. Yeah. But it's just a it's a throwaway line. Mm-hmm. They don't sit in it. There's no emphasis on it. Nobody's like, oh boy, this is a really big mistake. Or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She just says it. And then they're like, okay, get back to how we're going to kill the kid. Which is what they've already decided to do. And the lack of focus on that was like, that changes everything. There's a massive screw up here. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, okay, now on to the conclusion and then back to, you know, the Mexican border where everything's going on. And I'm like, right. that lack of nuance felt changed. It felt different. And it would have been the, cru- I think feel like the crux of, um, a, a better crafted story. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So, but that, that that's like my biggest complaint. Okay. Yours is more thematic. Mine's more execution. Sure. Um, So either way, I'm still, if Sicario 3 happens, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, the first car didn't make that much money to begin with. This one looks like it's going to open to around $20 million opening weekend. I don't know how well it's going to play worldwide or how how its legs are going to be or anything. But, you know, if a sequel happens, if Sicario 3 comes along in three years from now and it's the whole gang back together with Sheridan writing and directing, then great. The crazy thing is... It's estimated budget is like fifty million dollars. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, got to pay the cast. I mean, there's some. I mean, they're not shooting on green screens, so that's location. That's it's mm-hmm. a lot of different things going Wild. on there. So, um, yeah, I mean that. Those are our thoughts on Sicario de Soldado. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. Mm-hmm. 
Mater back with the news, and as always, going to start with Take It or Skip It. The premise of this section is simple. We watch a trailer, and then based on this trailer alone, nothing else, we decide whether we would give it a ticket or skip the movie entirely. Starting off with the second trailer we got for Shane Black's The Predator. Josh, you giving it a ticket, or are you skipping oh, it? Yeah, it's a, like four tickets, five oh. tickets. Oh, wow. Yes. Take the um, whole family. Exactly. Uh, this is the Shane Black trailer I was waiting for. Because it's funny, it's loose, there's nobody taking a predator walking amongst them seriously mm-hmm. whatsoever, and this is the exact movie that I want to go see. I, I don't know. remember my thoughts exactly on the first one. Uh, I was lukewarm even if I did give it a ticket, which mm-hmm. I think I gave it a ticket anyway. Yeah. But I'm a thousand percent here for it. I mean, it starts with um, Michael Michael Key, you know, uh, making your mama jokes. Yeah. And uh, I was at work when I was watching it and just started laughing and I got yelled at. So um, I have to do it a ticket now or else that was, it was a wasted was waste. watch. Right, yes. yeah. But the the action looks great. Um, gore, a superhuman hybrid predator mm-hmm. is stalking amongst them and tearing heads off of things. So uh, I'm ready for it. Give it to me. Yeah, I'll also give this one a ticket. Uh, I believe I skipped the last trailer, if yes. I remember correctly, mm-hmm. uh, just because that one focused on like Jacob Tremblay and <laughs> right. how he is par- possibly responsible for the Predators arriving on Earth to begin with, mm-hmm. which is just, why does he have the box full of gear to begin with? doesn't matter. This trailer doesn't mention any of that stuff. Maybe they cut it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one has a good tone, like you mentioned. It's got the Shane Black humor. The uh, the witty dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boyd Holbrook looks pretty fun in his role. Yes. Uh, so is Trevante Rhodes, Keegan Michael Key. Um, Sterling K. Brown is in this, which I saw Hotel Artemis last week. Oh yeah, how he's, was he? He's great in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want I just want to see more and more of him. So um, it look it looks it looks good. It looks fun. It looks like there's a lot of action, a lot of gore, um, but not like too much gore or anything. Um, and I think the Alpha Predators or whatever they're called. Right. It's a kind of like a cheesy idea. It's like, oh, this is a sequel or reboot, so we got to do something new. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to do alien hybrid predators. Right. Okay, but they're double the size, and it's hunting the other predators, and that poster they released with mm-hmm. like the big predator oh, holding yeah. the head and the Epic. spine of the regular size predator I thought was really cool. So if that happens in the movie... I don't. We'll see. Um, my only concern with the predators is the the mega the mega predators, whatever you call them, um, is that it will result in a predator human team up to take it down, which mm, I think would just be really cheesy. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess. Oh, also Olivia Munn's character is less cheesy this time around yeah. too, which I was worried about. But she's looks totally crying in now. a shower. <laughs> well, that's one scene, but I think a couple others where she's doing some butt kicking. Yeah, it's like thank goodness. Um, but ticket. Yes. Take okay. It. I don't know if you said that. I I, I think I did. Um, but if I didn't, I've it's a ticket again. Um, <laughs> I'll also give a big ticket for the first trailer for Beautiful Boy, mm. starring Timothy Chalamet and Steve Carell. I think both of them look fantastic in this in these roles, respectively. Probably both going gunning for Oscars. It looks like uh, Timothy Chalamet plays like plays Steve Carell's kid who has gone down a darker path than anticipated. He's strung up on drugs and he's addicted. And uh, it's about Steve Carell trying to connect with him after all these years. It looks like he's somewhat of an absentee father. Yeah. Um, and so I think just their dynamic that the fact that most of the trailer is centered around like just them two, like talking in a booth and it gets like super emotional and very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it look, it looks, it looks great. Um, and I, I, yeah, like I said, I think 
come award season time, this one's going to be part of the conversation. You look to be, more concerned about it. Not to be contrarian, but based on this trailer, I would pass. You, you would skip the movie. I would skip it. Why? It, it, nothing they were saying, nothing that was going on, hooked me or jumped through at me. Okay. Um, it's just not a good trailer at all. Um, I have no grasp of the story at all. Like you were saying, you were kind of, you had to infer a ton. Um, and I didn't get a sense of the conflict or why anything was the way it was. Okay. I mean, I still want to see the movie. I mean, like, is it like I'm trying to play the game here, okay? The cat, the cast, though. Can I talk about the cast? Yes. Because I want to get away from just saying skip it. Because <laughs> I, I, um, I'll wait until the reviews come out, and then when they're glowing, they'll be like, "All right, now I can go see it." Okay. Michael Sheen's in here. It's Steve Carell, Alan Tudyk, um, Amy Ryan. Yeah, Office of, Reunion. Of office Renown. Also, um, and I think. Amy, uh, Amy Ryan and Steve Carell are married or formerly married in the they're, movie. I think they're divorced. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool because she's, mm-hmm. she's Holly. Hopefully, the, hopefully this isn't like a office spinoff. <laughs> <and it's, laughs> this, this is 15 years later. This my, is what's happened. My ultimate goal now is to like <laughs> make a secret office. Oh man. Future movie. And then when people like get to the end of it and they're like, and then no one says his name no, in the, end of the no, movie. Mr. Scott. Like, yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Scott. <laughs> that would be great. That'd be epic. <laughs> but, all the elements here seem to be great and in good place, but this this trailer is just sort of like something I would skip over. Okay. So let's move on to the actual news then after those two ticket or skip it's and go to the Avengers 4 title, which may or may not have been revealed. Uh, earlier this week, Collider asked Kevin Feige when the title would be announced, and he said, quote, it'll be towards the end of the year when with however we launch that film, end quote. So after that, we're all bracing for, all right, it's a long way. We'll probably have to wait for the first trailer maybe, mm-hmm. and they'll announce at the end of that or with the first poster or something. And then it was discovered this week by Omega Underground that the film cinematographer Trent Opalk, Opalock, uh updated his resume and listed the title as Ooh. Avengers colon <laughs> Endgame. <laughs> It only took a matter of hours before that update for that website to be updated and just say Avengers four. Mm-hmm. So was this a slip up and this is our actual title or are you not buying it? And this is some sort of placeholder. What are your thoughts on it? Maybe being an Avengers end game or it not being. I'm of two minds of this. And I think maybe, maybe you are too. I don't know. We'll see. You're the expert here, but this is, this is my gut. It's a working title but they don't even want the working title up there. And that's why it was updated and taken down. Endgame would be an awesome title mm-hmm. for this movie, but it is way too comic booky in a lot of ways. Endgame says, yes, this is a comic book, but all of the films in Marvel have always had some kind of like relevant to what's happening title. Yeah. And I feel like they wouldn't give it that name unless this is, absolutely a thousand percent the final avengers film Mm -hmm. then that yeah i would i would buy that but yeah no i think it's a placeholder but they don't even want the placeholder up there yeah yeah i would be curious to know like when this was updated like Mm -hmm. i know it was just discovered but did he just update his resume this morning and people found it and then it was taken down or what happened or has this been up there for months we don't know um 
I like the title. If this is the title, if, if Marvel comes out tomorrow and says, yep, you know, we weren't going to announce it at this point, but yes, our t- the title of Avengers 4 is Avengers Endgame, and it was leaked and whatever, but this is what it is. I'll be, I'll be cool because that was like the whole line that Dr. Strange ended his like speech with right before he dies. Like we're in the end game now. So the fact that like that was some bit of foreshadowing is cool. Right. But the Russos previously said an interview with Uproxx, I believe that the title of Avengers four is not spoken in infinity war because a lot of people were theorizing end game or forever or something along those lines. And so if they're being truthful in that statement, then this rules this out, and this is some sort of working title placeholder. This is what the people on set were calling it because they didn't want to call it Avengers Infinity War 2 or Infinity right. Gauntlet or whatever. They didn't want to and they were just like, all right, way. we just need something to call it so people know. Instead of, hey, can you shoot for Infinity War? It's like, can you shoot for blank? Mm-hmm. And so just call it Avengers 4 and Avengers 3 or whatever. They're just like, all right, well, this one's Endgame for all you people do, we're doing work on this movie. Yeah. I think that's totally possible and because there's two reasons why he would take it down. There's the reason that Disney obviously called him after all these websites Mm -hmm. um, started running this as news and said, take this down immediately. You spoiled it. We weren't going to announce this yet. Change it. And he did it. Or Disney called him and said, why do you have that up there? That's not the right title. Please take it down. And so they take it down to prevent the spoiler or to prevent people from thinking that this is actually it. Yes. Or, may I posit a third final yes. theory? Opalock reads blogs. That's very possible. And then decided, I'm going to screw with every single one of these. Yeah, I mean, or, I mean, he could just think, <laughs> just like, it up there. just reading blogs and or whatever, and, like, that's the, the popular theory was Endgame. And he's like, oh, maybe they announced that. Update Marisme, Avengers Endgame. I don't know. I like um, the idea of him cackling behind the screen. That's as possible. Like, what is this happening? Yeah. He took it down. It's confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there's also, I mean, and we, who knows, this could actually be the title and maybe Marvel instead was just like, <clears throat> all right, well now that it's out there, we will go with our second option <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and they'll just screw with us anyways, even if this wasn't one point going to be their title. So yeah. we don't know. We'll find out at least by the end of the year, according to Kevin Feige, if this is real, maybe we found it even sooner, um, but we'll see. We do know, however, what the movie coming directly after Avengers 4 will be called, thanks to Tom Holland and his uh, always spoilery (laughs) posts and comments. Uh, He revealed on Instagram this past week in a very fun way, right after we were done recording last week's episode, actually, that the title for Spider-Man Homecoming 2, or the untitled Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, as it was officially called before, is Spider-Man Far From Home. Kevin Feige later confirmed this as he was doing press rounds for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and he told Cinnablend, quote, it is, full of an, it is full of alternate meaning, and we liked continuing the home thing with the little Spidey symbol in the home. So it's not the homecoming and then the next one's prom or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not continuing with the dance theme. Instead, they could continue with this, ho- with this home theme, yeah. um, which I like. I like the title, Far From Home. Makes sense because we know he's going overseas for the second movie. And I like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a weird like thing to be like, oh, so we're going to go with this title because we can still use that Spidey logo (laughs) in our title. (laughs) But at the same time, I like the Spidey logo. So cool. Right. But the thing is though, like, again, like remember how we were talking about Bob Iger being like green lighting solo once he figured out the name. Yeah. This sounds like a Kevin Feige thing where they're (laughs) presenting him names and like, which one do you suggest we go with? And then he's like, 
oh, you can put the Spider-Man logo in the O's on this yeah. one. Go with that one. They're like, everyone looks at each other. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, this it, it totally works. I like the home idea. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what the levels mm-hmm. mean, but continuity that way you can call it the home series right or whatever the case is is awesome um i don't know who originated the arts or did who they originated with but the spider-man the the fifth film in the franchise called spider-man homies with spider-man boss logic yeah Yeah. boss logic that was so cool yeah like i hope that works out that would be really cool to go if we get that far and are able to swing mild morales into a movie so do you have any other suggestions for the if they continue with the home theme, what what Spider Man three should be called? Uh, no, I don't. I tried to think of some, but I didn't even get that. Far. My immediate one was Spider Man Homeward Bound. I don't know. Ooh. I don't know how that makes sense. <laughs> Does he stay yeah. overseas and he's a, he's an international Avenger after Spider Man two, but then he has to go back to New York for a threat or something, maybe, um, or it could be him moving to college or actually finding like his actual home, and that's it's about Peter Parker moving. Yeah, uh, that'd be funny. I've seen suggestions of Spider-Man Home Alone, uh, which would be, I think, would be really fun. But I think the homies, uh, when I yeah, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty epic. I'm looking up the words with the home in it, and I got like homeowner. I was like, okay, no. Nope. Spider-Man homeowner. Uh, How does he navigate New York's yeah. ridiculous real estate market? You think you think you think he's got problems with Doc Ock? Just wait till you find out what his tenant is charging him for rent. <laughs> <laughs> Next up with Spider-Man. Uh, uh, no. Finally, a movie that's really about New York. <laughs> exactly. Um, so moving on to, well, sticking with Spider-Man, but going to Sony's Spider-Man spinoff universe, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Cinema Blend, or not Cinema Blend, The Hollywood Reporter reported this week that Jared Leto is set to star in Sony's Morbius, the living vampire movie. Not only will he star... But Daniel Espinoza, who recently directed Life for Sony, is going to direct the film, which is currently eyeing a production start sometime later this year. Looks like this will be the second movie in this semi-Spider-Man universe to get going after Venom, because Silver and Black looks like that's being pushed for a while. Mm -hmm. Jared Leto, Morbius, Is is this a good call? Yes. Jared Leto, Leto. I don't know. Whoever, I always say Leto. How whatever your tomato is or tomato is, is it going to be a better Morbius than he is a Joker? But how will he do it methodly? I don't know. It's a great <laughs> will question. He actually, become a vampire. He will go to Bucharest. No. Um, where is the Dracula tomb at? Oh, I have no idea. It's somewhere in Europe and the place starts with a B, I think. I'm pretty sure Ryan Budapest. Budapest. Yeah. I think it's somewhere in that area. It's around that place. Um, because Ryan Gosling did a, that's where they filmed the movie Blade Runner. Oh, okay. And he did an interview with GQ there. And that's how I know this. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, point being, he will go there. He'll live in the, he'll live in the catacombs for a few months. He'll emerge pale. Somehow he grew fangs down there, and then he'll be ready to shoot. He'll just be capturing bats in caves and make and force them to bite him, <laughs> hoping that he eventually turns into a vampire. We'll have a he'll have a thirty sec whole new thirty seconds from Mars album yeah. ready to go somehow too. It'll be crazy, but I, I think this would be great. Like really would. Um, we talked about Morbius randomly like a. Six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago. I don't know how long Not ago. a year ago. It was, it was sooner than that. But I think I was. it was in line with me saying, give me another Blade movie mm-hmm. and then swing Morbius into it too and make them fight each other. 
um, that because that would be really cool. And I want Wesley Snipes to return his blade or John Boyega, whoever. Um, but I'm here for this. I'm here for as many comic book movies as ever because I want to be introduced to new characters yeah. and I want to be able to like watch it and not feel weird about digging into like comic book lore, but like if there's a movie coming out, that's why I watch it. And it's like, it's like the catalyst for me to okay. get involved. How about that? that? That's a better way to say it than whatever I just said. <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts? Um, this strikes me as a story that would be lukewarm for you. Yes. Or would you just go, I don't know what's going on, man. It, it's, it's basically both of those uh, <laughs> okay. feelings. It's like, why, why are we making this movie, Sony? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Because I think the only thing that would make this interesting is if they did like a true like vampire R-rated kind of horror movie, and I don't think Sony would do that with this project since they're not doing it with Venom. So why would they, with a more obscure character, with a less popular actor than Tom Hardy, go the R-rated route? Unless that's why they would do it, because it's like, well, we have less. There's a less likelihood this movie opens to 100 million dollars. So let's do something different, yeah. change it up to try to set ourselves apart a little bit. Maybe they do it that way, but uh, I think Jared Leto is a talented actor. I mean, he's proven so, He's proven to be so. Dallas Buyers Club, um, Reckon for a Dream, etc. It, it was just like Suicide Squad is the last thing that he's done, and him playing the Joker, I think, left uh, a lukewarm taste in a lot of people's mouths where it's just like, okay, he, he did something different on purpose, did I like it? I'm not sure because I only got to see him for like five minutes. So it's like this very short taste test on Jared Leto's Joker. Mm-hmm. This he'll be obviously front and center if he's Morbius. And I think Jared Leto could be a pretty good Morbius. Um, it'll just come down to what the film actually ends up being. It's being written by the guys who did Lost in Space for Netflix. Yeah. And I like Espinosa as a director. I mean, I didn't love Life. Um, which a lot of people thought was a Venom, a, a, a yeah, semi-Venom movie, which would have been a great so idea. Cool. Um, so he's like semi-tied to this universe already. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like him as a director. So him teaming up with this project, I think could work, especially if he brings in some of those. Because life is pretty much a sci-fi movie, but there's also some horror elements to it. So if he can tap those sensibilities into Morbius, then we could have something that I think works and is actually unique but at the same time it's just like what are we doing and i still want to see venom before i figure out if i really want to see any of these other spinoffs because if venom is somehow backdoored into the mcu yeah with like a tom holland cameo then it's like well does that mean morbius is too mm-hmm. and i it would just raise a lot of questions and i don't want to be asking all those all the time so sure. did we'll you see. like leto in blade runner yeah okay yeah i thought i, mean, I thought he was good um because I think that would be technically the last time you've seen him. That's true. That's true. I just forgot about that. Sorry, I'm being a know-it-all. No, no, it's no. It's, but I thought about Blade Runner today. Of course, as you always do. I always think about Blade Runner. It's my, oh man. Ryan Gosling, as always. Um, oh yeah, that's what I was just talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so moving on. It wasn't as random as I thought as I thought. Yes. To maybe a, a role Ryan Gosling could play as a new Indiana Jones. Mm. Um, according to Collider, though, that movie is getting a rewrite courtesy of solo Star Wars story scribe John Kasdan. Mm. He is going to what it appears to be a full-on rewrite of Indiana Jones 5 taking over for David Koop, who was uh, previously writing the movie. And the reason it's expected to be somewhat of a heavy rewrite is because Variety followed this up by saying that production will not start early next year as was believed and that the movie will now miss its 2020 release date 
and it's already missing its twenty its previous twenty nineteen release date, so this movie's been pushed back again. John Kazan on to write. Do you think that's a good move? Are you bummed that we're not gonna see it? What are your thoughts on Indiana Jones five? They're introducing a new character in this script, somehow, some way. I think John Kazan's supposed to write that new character. You're introducing Alden Ehrenreich. I don't know about that. <laughs> but I you know, if he's not doing solo and they're like, John, you wrote Alden really well. Mm-hmm slide him in there or Lawrence and John together. Yeah. They're probably basically a package duo at this point. You get one, maybe. you get the other. Um, perhaps. I, I mean, I would think so. Or maybe the script just wasn't up to snuff um, in a lot of ways. And maybe mm-hmm. it was going to move, make moves with the character that were going to be even more outrageous than what people saw in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And they're like, oh, let's scale <laughs> back a little bit yeah. here. But I don't see this as a bad thing. I would rather see a script rewritten a million times in a movie pushed back to 2025 mm-hmm. than them go forward with it and have it be trash. Yeah. Because not to be morbid, not to be morbid, but I'm a, let's just face facts. Harrison Ford is a ticking time bomb. He, <laughs> no, he, look, he's in, he looks like he's in great shape. Um, and he's got enough money to keep him alive forever. But, but he's 78 currently. He's 78 currently. If it's not filming next year... He'll be 80 by the time he starts filming this next movie. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. So and it's going to be wild. He isn't necessarily the guy who just kind of sits back on his couch. He's out active and doing things. So mm-hmm. he's already crashed what, two planes. I mean, <laughs> who knows if the third one's in his future? Uh, hopefully not. But No, I mean, he's survived those crashes true. because of his expertise <laughs> as a plane rider. There's also a great GQ profile of Harrison Ford that you guys should read. Of course. Um so you're cool with John Kazan being cool the choice? With it. What do you think? Because you're the you were even more lukewarm on Solo. Yeah, a lot of lukewarm Kazdin. topics. Um, maybe it's just because it's so warm in our recording <laughs> studio that everything else just feels so cool. Tampering, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this because I think John Kazan. It's difficult because we don't know how much of Solo was his and how much of Solo was his father's. Right. Were the parts were the parts I loved about Solo John's or were they Lawrence's? Mm-hmm. And were the parts I hate about Solo, you know, was it John's idea to be like, hey, we should say how he got his name, right? And if that's the case, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that was Bob Iger's idea. No, <laughs> that, I'm just I mean, kidding. Maybe. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to judge John Kasdan. I think currently, yeah, there's um, not an isolated place for us to say this is exactly his work. Right. It's like yeah, he's done like stuff with Freaks and Geeks, I think, before, and yep. like other stuff like that, but. Not on this scale. And I think his hire is more just a familiarity thing, if anything, with mm-hmm. Lucasfilm. They're like, hey, you just did this. Film may not have done as well as we thought it was going to do, but we still like you. And so we're going to keep you around and get you involved in this in some way. Um, I mean, if Spielberg himself picked him to write it, then great. That I think that would give me more confidence, but we'll see. Um, and as far as it being delayed, yeah, I mean, I was going to rate the Harrison Ford thing, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a great sign because – you just don't know when these older actors were going to go. I mean, ho- hopefully he's around. So he's 105. Yep. Um, but can he still, even if he is still alive in t- two years, whenever this movie starts filming, it's two more years. Can he be active enough to be indie? Uh, it, there's still questions that will need to be raised, especially since the last time he played indie was when? 2008. So it's been 10 years. Yeah. And in that movie, he's still, I mean, he's not, He's, he's, he, no, he's moving in he, that movie. He he moves pretty well, yeah. but I mean, Force Awakens, he moves 
good they not great well yeah. um and i mean we're moving we keep moving farther along and i just can't imagine him like he's not going to get better shape in the coming years and like be more agile and stuff so it's just uh it's just a question of can he still be indie and maybe that's why they're doing this full-on rewrite so like all right well we can't hit production because of x y and z let's rewrite the scripts maybe reduce harrison's role a bit so we can and give the new person who will be indie or whoever will take on the mantle or whatever, give them a larger role yeah. now. He needs to basically be Sean Connor from Sean Connery from The Last Crusade. Yeah. Just there to speak and say things and his, the only way that Harrison Ford can do. <laughs> yeah. And let whoever's um, alongside of him, you know, kind of take over the mantle or pass the hat and the wit forward. Yep. Um, Staying with Lucasfilm, though, there was a report from The Sun, more so a rumor, if anything, but according to their sources, Ewan McGregor is going to work on Episode 9, Star Wars Episode 9, for J.J., doing a couple weeks of shooting. Do you believe this report? Do you want Ewan McGregor to come back? Um, Do you think it makes sense? What are your thoughts? A couple weeks of shooting. Sorry, I, th- I think I think that's what it said. That's why. Yeah, I, I I don't believe that. If Ian McGregor is going to be in Star Wars Episode Nine, he's going to show up for like five days because his role will not be that big. Mm-hmm. It'll be so small, like minuscule. And then leaping on from that, I don't even want to see him in the movie. This is just really? personally. Yeah, why would he need to be in the movie other than to sh- you know? glow up at the end and be like hey i'm hanging out with yoda and luke congrats unless there's like this ethereal plane where luke skywalker is holy crap what if we get to see the other side of the force Mm -hmm. now what does it mean to become one with the force that could be really coolly explored and then all the man babies could quiet down they're like luke's alive (laughs) but he's also one with the force who knows that would be really cool maybe that's why they're going to do it maybe but I still am bristling at this because he is not Sir Alec Guinness. He's oh, soon to be Sir Ian McGregor. And yeah. they're two different people. There's a young Obi-Wan and an old Obi-Wan, and he's not it. And if he if he appears in a Force ghost form, then who do we need a special, special edition of Star Wars now? Which I, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's that's just my takes on it. But unless, you know, there's like a hologram where he's chopping people up to bits and you're like, wow, that's really cool. And then you're like, is that a hologram? What movie is that from? And then they're like, mm-hmm. two days later, Obi-Wan, a Star Wars story. <laughs> and someone videotapes him and then that's the hologram that gets to nine. But that's my take. That's my approach. Okay. Because I'm looking at this as a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. But man, I can't see why he would need to be there for more than two weeks. Because that, that, that's a crazy story choice. Okay, so the Sun article does not specify how much he will film. Okay, yeah. Just that he will film some scenes. That would make sense to me. One, week, one week's worth of work sounds about right for costuming and then doing a cameo with Ray or Luke both. Is this in any way possibly a tie back to his line ray these are your first steps from seven and jj is trying to tie things up Mm. in nine possibly yeah 
I think that makes the most sense. Because we get Yoda and his voice there. Mm-hmm. That would be them both kind of appearing. Yeah. Man, though. Yeah, uh, why would you do this with Mc... I just think it's a waste to do it with McGregor. Because he's not Alec Guinness, and that's not how he passed well, into the Force. I mean, what, you want him to create Alec Guinness from the dead? And No, you don't. You don't touch Guinness. You don't touch him. You, you, don't, just do don't, it. you don't want to see Force Ghost Obi-Wan no, ever. Like Yoda is... Because she doesn't know him. Like, she doesn't know Yoda. Exactly. So, and there's rumors of Yoda appearing in this movie, too. I know, and I'm... Did I, did I say it before that it didn't make sense as Yoda? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, like, listen, I love Yoda, and I'll, I'll, I'll come on screen, and I'll be like, that was the greatest thing ever. But what if that ethereal plane or whatever of Force Ghosts... What if Ray's able to tap into that somehow... Because sure. rebels um, say what you will about the show. I don't know. I don't believe do you watched like that, it. They they, uh, they introduce this concept where there's like this interdimensional place where you can kind of be omnipresent. You can kind of see all different parts of history. You hear people talking from different periods in time, all at the same time, mm. and you can see windows into different parts of the galaxy of different wow. periods in time. So maybe they go like really hard into connecting everything in star Wars Oosh. and they deal with that concept in some way. I think it'd be a bit crazy. And I think if they actually did on the big screen, the people who thought last Jedi did things that were beyond comprehension with the force will yeah. lose it with nine. If they mm-hmm. brought this premise to the big screen, uh, you know, I think it's cool, but it introduces the idea of time travel, changing reality. Um, there's so many different things you would, you would possibly have that ability to do that. I don't think it, <laughs> I think it's better a closed door as a concept of, Oh, that that's like a cool thing, but we'll never use it. Right. than a, Hey, here we go. We like, can do it whenever sort of thing. Cause if that's tr- like, I'll, I'll need to catch up on um, rebels. I'll need to start watching rebels anyway. Um, I'm just laughing at the idea that, you know, what Luke's making the, the, the trench run on the death star and Obi-Wan, <laughs> his voice is coming from like a microphone behind of a window. That's kind of like <laughs> appearing in outer space, like, Use the force, Luke, and then is it what? Yeah, yeah, and then you know, but uh, I like I, I just I buy it. I need to be, I need to be brought along with it as a concept. I'm gonna poo-poo it because, mm-hmm. like, if you would have preached to me episode eight lines and script, it would have been like, eh, I don't know. We'll see about that. That doesn't <laughs> sound like Star Wars to me. And then, but then here I am today, the last Jedi's biggest fan. So. Yeah. Yeah, I no. but I, I I believe it. I mean, the sun isn't known for breaking a lot of things, but they broke the Jake Gyllenhaal Spider-Man Homecoming or mm-hmm. Spider-Man Far 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 From Home uh, casting before anybody else did. So they definitely have some sources. Right. Um, and last er, and Star Wars Nine is filming overseas, I believe. Again, it's filming yep, in the UK, in which is where the sun is located. So um, it it. I think it makes sense, and I believe that they would try to bring McGregor back in some way, especially Abrams. And it looks like if he, if McGregor appears, if the Yoda things are true, if the Billy D rumors are true, um, it looks like they're really trying to tie everything together and get um, possibly very nostalgia. You know what? With the movie, but if it's a swan song for Star Wars, I'd be there for it. Yeah, but I want Kai Gwan there. I want, I want Kai Gwan. Oh, I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't count that out either. Oh, you better give me him. So, uh, moving away from Star Wars, get into some other uh, series. Yes. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter revealed this week a short list for who will play Goose's son in Top Gun Maverick. 
The final three choices are Nicholas Holt, Glenn Powell, and Miles Teller. Out of these three choices, who would you choose? And there's only one right answer. Uh, no, there are two right answers. No. Miles Teller is not the right character. That's correct. But listen, listen. Goose looks a certain way. Yes. And Holt looks like Goose more than Powell does. I am lukewarm on Powell, to say the least, and I am lukewarm on Holt. But if I would just, you just spike up Holt's hair and put aviators on mm-hmm. him, you could be like, that's a modern day goose. Yeah. I don't see it in Powell. And you're oh, gonna, I totally do. You do? Okay, why? How? You're, you're a big, bigger fan of him than I am. Um, I don't, it just, there's not, it, it's the charisma factor. Goose, okay. Goose isn't as charismatic as Maverick is in Top Gun. But he's still the wingman. He's the guy who's playing the piano in the bar, singing. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I just don't see that as Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt is the quiet, oh. kind of nerdy yeah. guy who, who is it? Who is um? What's the term? Um, he's not. He's not. He's an introvert. Um, right. And Glenn Powell is very much the charismatic guy who can come in and be the hotshot drone pilot who comes under Maverick's wing. And, you know, is trying to be the new kind of best guy in the Academy. But if your father is dead, how would that play into the character? Or would you rather them not even bother with that? I mean, you have to address it, obviously. But, I mean, Goose died pretty early on in that kid's life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, maybe the sad thing works. You know, he could be sad and depressed or he could be like a loose cannon and be like, you're way too loose. Let's bring him back in. He could be the new Maverick. Exactly. I think think that makes more sense. I like Powell then. For him to be the, because Maverick had to rein himself in, Mm -hmm. in Top Gun. So now that he has to pass that lesson on to Goose's son, I think makes way more sense than him being like, hey, it's okay, Goose Jr. (laughs) Your dad may have died, but you know. You can be a pilot too. And he's mm-hmm. just like, cause I mean, plus if he's like a sad pilot, why would he even want to be a pilot to begin with? Unless that's why he wants to be a drone pilot. Cause he doesn't have to be in the field. Sure. And that there's some plot about bringing his son into the life of actually flying and overcoming yeah. a fear. Mm-hmm. I just think, okay. And personally Holt has had, I think more opportunities on the big screen in these bigger roles because of X-Men and whatever. And Powell hasn't yet. And I want to see him get his big budget, breakthrough role because I thought he was great and set it up. You thought he, okay, can we get into that real quick? You yes. thought he was great the entire way through. Um, no. I have, I, there was, is, a, there was a character turn the last 20, 30 minutes that I was like, ah, you were a really genuinely like cool guy and I, I can root for you and then you kind of just turned into a jerk for like 10 minutes and then you redeemed yourself again. Well, character stuff aside, you thought he was doing really well with Zoe? Yeah. Man, I felt like he was like a brick wall. Yeah, I know. I read your review. But uh, I just yeah, don't I know. agree with it. I, I but that, but he get he finally when they start to when they start to you know connect. So I was like, oh okay, I can see why some people would like you. But uh, yeah, I thought they had, I, I, th- I thought they had great chemistry I, the whole time. I came around to him. Him yelling "douche turd" uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, made me crack up more than any you know insults from movie for a while. But okay. I, I'm with you on Powell now. Okay, I'm perfect. Uh, glad I could sell somebody on it because guy didn't argue on Twitter because I was like, Powell's the only choice. Yeah, was that Cats? Yeah, yeah. Brandon. Um, <laughs> so uh, moving on to Sonic the Hedgehog, according to Deadline, is getting Jim Carrey to play its main villain, Dr. Eggman. Uh, this will be a practical role, not a CGI hybrid, apparently. So 
do you see Jim Carrey being a good fit for Dr. Robotnik Eggman or whatever his name is? Yeah, absolutely I do. Um, if you've seen Jim Carrey in the role of the bad guy from a series of unfortunate events, Count Olaf, you'll know he can do it. You just transplant the hair on the back down mm-hmm. to here. You make him bald. You give him a curly Q mustache and black sunglasses. He is golden. Maybe do some prosthetics to kind of like beef up his head. You got beef with his body. Oh, yeah. Well, he would have to like get a gut. Yeah. But you could put him in a suit for that. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Oh, he would be perfect for it. I've, I've been missing Jim Carrey mm-hmm. on screen. He's been doing some darker roles yeah. lately. Um, and he's stepping back into comedy again. That's that's a bright that's a bright spot, and I can't wait for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not terribly interested in Sonic the Hedgehog, the mm-hmm. movie. Sure. Um, I mean, I played some of the games when I was oh, a kid. The Sega game um, was the best. One I remember playing a lot was on GameCube. GameCube, I think. oh yeah, yeah. And there was more. You like, collect these like mini animals. That, Chow. Like, you, yeah, mm-hmm. and like you raise you, them, you raise them, little, yeah, yeah, and you I, can throw them in the rivers. Uh-huh. And yeah, <laughs> like I remember yes. playing that game a lot at a friend's house, and you know Robotnik's the villain in that game as right. he is in basically all Sonic material, as well as Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah, mm. so, but I, I, so even though I may not be totally excited for a Sonic the Hedgehog movie, I like the move for Carrie because, like you, I miss seeing Jim Carrey on the big screen and his giant, over the top, charismatic, weird face roles. And I want to see that again because mm-hmm. we haven't seen him in a major role since, like, uh, he was in The Bad Batch, which is now on Netflix. He was in um, Anchorman 2 for, like, a hot second. That's right. And then, obviously, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber 2, yeah. which was just, you know, not good. Right. So, okay. um, it him stepping into these this family-friendly, I very much assume to, this will be, big-budget movie, I think is a great career move for him. And I think we'll get back the Jim Carrey of old and yeah I, I hope that they don't really change his or how Eggman typically looks like I want to see Jim Carrey with the giant mustache mm-hmm. bald and this big egg shaped body instead of like right. Jim Carrey being like in a white suit his still thin figure and like a like just a smaller mustache I'm like no I want this to be like full-on ridiculous For Jim sure. Carrey where you can go really over the top, really zany and really just have fun with it. And I think that'll make me have the most fun with Sonic. Absolutely. So, uh, moving on then to Charlie's angels, that hashtag show report this week that Naomi Scott is going to star in the reboot movie alongside Kristen Stewart and likely Lupita Nyong'o, who is still in talks for the movie. Uh, it is going to be directed by Elizabeth Banks and will hit theaters June 7th, 2019. So this one's going to start pretty quickly. Do you like the addition of Naomi Scott? Do you like the way this cast is shaping up? Yeah. I love every part of this at all. Um, first of all, Lupita Nyong'o should be cast in everything, I believe. Yes. Um, Kristen Stewart, I haven't like seen a role with her yet where I've been like, that is the best role mm-hmm. for her at all. Um, I think American Ultra for me is like the first Yeah, she was thing. good in that. What Adventureland, is that her? Her, uh, Michael Sarah? You know, I haven't seen it. I think it is, and she. I, I, I like. I like okay, her yeah. in that. Um, but this sounds. This team up, this crew, all the, the different personalities, sound perfect for it. Um, I haven't seen Naomi Scott in a whole lot, no, but her Power just, Rangers just character Power Rangers. Um, would be great if it's like if it's like a transplant mm-hmm. type of an attitude. Will be will be great. Lapita, of course, um, everyone loves. Yeah, so I'm here for it. And Elizabeth Banks is directing. Uh, her voice. 
like I haven't been able to you can't I don't know if I could like identify it just yet. Yeah. But everything that she's done so far has been so so good. So I mean her big thing's Pitch Perfect Two. Yep. Um, which I I really like, not yeah. as much as the first movie. Sure. Um doesn't recapture the magic, but, but it continues I, the joke. Yes, but I still very much enjoy that second movie, which I know wasn't necessarily the case for everybody with Pitch Perfect Two. Mm-hmm. So I think the jury is still out on Elizabeth Banks as a director, but I like the way this cast is shaping up. Naomi Scott. Um, yeah, like I've been kind of waiting to see more from her. And like, because Power Rangers wasn't the mega hit, even though I thought that movie was really good and that cast was great together, they haven't really picked up that much steam outside of yeah. uh, the kid who went on to do Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm excited for her. I'm ready to see her in more. She's going to be Jasmine and Aladdin next year too. So uh, that'll be exciting. And so yeah, her... Kristen Stewart, Lupita Nyong'o, I think is a good trio to play the Charlie's Angels and uh, kind of get this thing moving. So hope she has a cameo too, because she's just such an effervescent actress as well. Oh, so. Banks. Yes, I I believe she does have a role. I don't remember good. what it is, but good. Um, yeah. Then moving on to one of our last topics of the day, Greta Gerwig, according to Variety, has lined up an all-star cast for her sophomore feature or her follow-up to Ladybird. Mm-hmm. Ladybird. Um, and that will be a remake of Little Women. Gerwig is writing and directing the movie, and it will star Meryl Streep, Emma Stone, Cersei Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, and Florence Pugh as the stars of this ensemble. There are still other roles to be cast, but it's a lot of familiar faces for Gerwig with Ronan and Chalamet both being in Lady Bird, plus Meryl Streep, Emma Stone headlining. Uh, this is a great cast. Yes. It looks like it's going to start production sometime this year. So probably sometime next late 2019 we'll be getting this if it's awards caliber, which I mean, if it's Gerwig, I mm-hmm. at least currently have that mindset where yes. this is going to be a very dramatic role. Um, this is obviously a remake. Uh, this is an adaptation of the book, which is going to remake or potentially update the previous movie uh, with Winona Ryder and, uh, and uh, the girl from, Spider-Man who plays Mary Jane, I can't think of. Oh, um, yes. Kirsten Dunst. Dunst. Um, yes. So I'm, I guess, excited for this movie because it's Gerwig. Not so much the source material, but the cast, the director is good. What are your thoughts? Uh, you have a, you have Oscar nominees left mm-hmm. and right. Though this, this is an entire movie made up of Oscar nominees, right? Yeah. Cersei's got well, some. Except from, for maybe Pew. I don't know about her. Yeah, I don't know about her either. Everyone else is a class A talent. Mm-hmm. I think we can call Chalamet that now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. I've not seen these movies. I've seen sections of it. I think I've seen Weona Ryder trying to write her book and get it edited by somebody in mm-hmm. New York, like a, like a sequence like that. That's all I remember for it. But I'm 100% here for it. Um, Lady Bird remains one of my top movies of 2017. Uh, even though I got to see it in 2018. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I'm just excited for it. I've never read the books. Maybe I'll read the book now. That way I can be like, I know what's ha- happening. I identify. <laughs> That's so whatever their names is. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we'll, I'll go from there. But, okay. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, then lastly, uh, Variety also reported this week that Rebecca Ferguson is joining the cast of Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining, directed by Mike Flanagan. And uh, starring Ewan McGregor, Ferguson is joining the cast as Rose the Hat. I don't really know much about this character, but she's tied into the book. I believe she 
is like in charge of the Overlook Hotel. Okay. Um, so I don't really care what her role is. Rebecca Ferguson is a great talent. Um, and her pairing up with Ewan McGregor for this horror-ish movie, um, I think is a, is a nice change of pace for her until she can lead the Mission Impossible franchise. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Is she like the Tom Cruise understudy? I'll figure it out. No, I'm going to watch. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start a... Anyway, yes, I'm going to start a Mission Impossible rewatch. Maybe I can write something about yeah, each film for sure. the Sure, absolutely. The blog? Okay, like a 500-word little... Okay, anyway. Um, I watched her in Snowman. She's fine there. Um, movie's terrible. Showman. The movie's terrible. She's good. <laughs> Greatest Showman. She's terrific there. Girl on the Train is Anna. Um, this, I guess the co-female lead, maybe? Yeah. Because it balances pretty well there with those two, um, as well as Janie. So I'm here for that. And then, oh, Life as well. Mm-hmm. Right in there. I'm here for it. Sounds like a great pairing of underrated actors. Yes. So that is all we have for the news this week, which brings us to the end of the episode. Next week, we're back with a review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I don't think we're going to do a preview episode because we are just dying um, from heat exhaustion in our studio. So we're going to skip it. I mean, there's not that much I think to discuss about the movie to begin with. It's going to be fun. It's going to be lighthearted low-ish stakes probably right. mm-hmm. um i mean i'm pretty sure i guess the big twist of the movie you can go find that on my twitter um and on screen rant there's yeah, an article you have about a feature it for it right yes um so i guess maybe don't read it until i see the movie <laughs> um unless you don't care about possibly being spoiled about it's it but theorizing it's nothing we wouldn't have done in the preview episode exactly i mean there's concrete information i feel like that backs up my theory pretty well yes um but so i, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it on the actual preview episode but fair enough Needless to say, I'm excited about Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm excited to see more Evangeline Lilly and her character. Um, I want to see how Peyton Reed takes this concept and makes it his own because mm-hmm. it's now fully his movie. Right. It's not a somewhat Edgar Wright movie that is then made by Peyton Reed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all him. So I'm excited to see what he can do uh, with the MCU and kind of elevate this shrinking, growing technology. Yeah. I am interested to see what the what the granular events of a pre-Infinity War Marvel universe looks like. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's being described as a midnight run, which mm-hmm. is a movie I am I'm endeared to. So There's also mentions of adventures uh, in babysitting. Oh, yeah. Which I watched for the first time a couple days ago oh, and, and? Uh, thought it was really enjoyable. Okay. It's super fun, but I was like, I don't really see the parallels. It's an obscure, yeah, I, Unless it's just the zany adventure nature of Ant-Man and the Wasp, which if that's the case, I'm all there for. For sure. Yeah, ridiculousness Mm -hmm. left and right, which a building is getting, you know, (laughs) built up in the center of like, uh, looks like, what are they, in San Francisco? Yeah. I don't know the highways in San Francisco. But that, um, it's Rudd and Evangeline Lilly. Evangeline Lilly is like stealing my heart Mm-hmm. In affections with her press tour and anytime I see the trailers for these movies. So I'm probably going to be her biggest fan coming out of it. Um, and then there's Michael Pena. Um, <laughs> word is that he is top notch. Yeah. So um, I can't wait for him to. Um, just a couple of really brief preview questions. So we're not going to do a preview. Do you think, I, I believe it'll end with the snap and people disintegrating, vanishing, whatever you want to call it. Do you side with me on that? Um, yes, but it'll be a post-credit scene. Okay, that's fair. And then it'll, I mean, listen, Paul Rudd's kid, Scott Lang's kid, is going to get evaporated. Yeah, uh, there's, or, or he will evaporate before her. There will be that dynamic. Oh, well, he's not going. Maybe, who knows. 
I, we don't know, do we? We, we, we Ant Man's not. Okay, fair enough. Because he, he's, he's he's a big in the Avengers for merchandise promo stuff that's been out so far. Ant Man is there with like all the OGs and Captain Marvel, as so. well as Hawkeye. As well as Hawkeye. There's merchandising stuff out already? There's there's promo art things that are floating around. Oh, my goodness. I got to get up on it. Okay, I mean, cool. Um, So I think it went. I think it'll be Wasp. I think it'll be Wasp. I think actually it may be both Wasps. It'll be. So they rescue her. Or, they, she's or, found or it'll then... be the reverse, and it'll be Wasp, um, Hope Van Dyne, eventually Lily's character. She'll go. I, I think that's. I'm very confident in saying that. But then it's, I could see them taking Hank away then and then. Janet is left after just being rescued of well now both of them are gone that would be cool um, Michelle Pfeiffer so it'd, be, it'd be a reversal Infinity War 4 would so, be awesome um, do you have any I mean, box office do you think it's going over 100 million no I do you think, think it'll, it'll do top solo 90. yes it'll t- in, in any movie we see from here on out <laughs> will top solo <laughs> I don't know about that but I, I agree I think it's I think it's going mid 90s that's my yeah. expect, expectation I'm, com- I'm comfortable there it, it's getting good reviews. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom looks like it's going to fall off pretty big this weekend. So it looks like there'll be room for Aim and the Wasp to kind of take control of the family center uh, at the movie theater. So with all that being said, we'll also be back this week with a big question. Once again, joined by Amanda Morris discussing what are the uh, most important themes and lessons that come out of Star Wars which is a very good talk. Yeah, and it's my favorite big question that we have done. There we so. go. So hopefully it turns out uh, well, and you guys will all enjoy that when it drops on 4th of July because that's just, you know, that's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So uh, have a good weekend. Have a good holiday in the middle of the week and uh, stay everything. safe. So uh, we'll also be obviously back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, be sure to share, subscribe, retweet, and everything else you can do online for us to help share our episodes, our podcasts, and everything else we do. Plus, over two iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments telling us why you enjoy listening to the show. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by tweeting us at Friends of Film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops for Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh, thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our view of Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs>